Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Strategies. Hello, and thank you for tuning into number 24. We are almost two years into this pandemic, and while the country has made significant progress, so has the virus. Where it stands today, we are in the midst of a fourth wave. COVID cases are rising, with the primary culprit being the Delta variant. So given this background, I wanted to invite back Umar Rafat, who is our first returning guest. Umar joined us in late 2020 prior to any vaccine approvals and provided what I felt was extremely thoughtful, knowledgeable, and insightful views of the then upcoming vaccines. In this discussion, we focus on the Delta variant, expectations, vaccine updates, other looming variants, and conclude with the speed round. A little bit about Umer. Umer is a senior managing director at Evercore and heads their large cap therapeutic efforts, which spans biotech, pharma, and specialty pharma. He has been ranked number one on 12 separate occasions by institutional investor covering the sector and currently ranked number one across all three of these sectors as a research analyst. He started his research career under Dr. Mark Schoenbaum at Deutsche Bank and then moved to Evercore ISI. He has an undergraduate in biology from UT Arlington and has a master's from the Harvard University T.H. Chan School of Public Health. And in 2020, Umer was inducted into the Institutional Investor Research Hall of Fame. And I do wanna mention this because it is a designation for analysts who have earned a number one ranking 10 times or more. That is, again, an amazing accomplishment. Let's get started. Boomer, thanks so much for joining again. Thanks for having me. All right, well, let's start high level. When we last spoke, it was November of 2020. The vaccines had yet to be approved for emergency use by the FDA. Now we sit in the... in what essentially seems like a fourth wave, but I'm just curious to get your broad thoughts on where we sit today as a country, vaccination-wise, danger standpoint, and and how what Delta's role is in this. I think the biggest thing that's changed is the percentage of population that was just never going to do the vaccination. I think that's probably, if anything, emerging as um, the one variable many people, especially on the especially on the more sort of investing and the finance side, never really thought about. And I say that because I remember doing a survey last year, last fall, when the vaccine data was starting to come out, over 90% of respondents said, yeah, I'll take the vaccine. So, and that was over a thousand investors and biotech executives. The problem is I'm dealing with a very certain audience in a survey like that. Real world setting, US uh, vaccination rates capped out in the mid 60s, kind of starts to tell you that there will be a residual amount of population, which will keep driving case numbers, but it will also drive sort of people that are actually spreading the virus at any given time, and it will continue to drive more variants that will pop up, which takes me into the second point, which is as much as vaccinations have been sort of um, uh, um, for people that did want to take it, it's been rapid, it's been out there and it's widely available. Unfortunately, it's my opinion that the biggest mistake U.S. and European governments have made uh, is that they, they took their sort of framework of printing cash for their own purposes, which they do normally in the course of regular economy, applied the same framework to a public health problem, which was really a global health problem, 
And what you're now dealing with is a Delta variant, which is effectively a knockoff of the India variant. And again, vaccines were not made rapidly available in much of the emerging countries. And therefore, you're seeing variants pop up that we didn't plan on. And, and that continues to date, by the way. I mean, Africa, so many other developing countries, which just haven't been able to pay for enough vaccinations. And guess what? Uh, they don't have money to print and they don't have enough vaccines. Or if they do have it, it's like largely ineffective vaccines from China, et cetera. And for those reasons, yeah, we're going to see more and more variants popped up. So those are the two big things that weren't necessarily in the calculus last year. We knew variants were going to come. We just didn't appreciate how big a human population we're leaving out there to develop more and more variants that we don't even know of right now. So where it sits today, I mean, our hospitalization rate, I believe when last got the data from you guys, around 80% of which, you know, 16 or 13 to 16% were COVID related. In the ICU side, it was about 30% COVID related. Do you see that as getting, do you see the stress increasing over the next month or kind of waning from here? I think based on what we've learned from prior waves, and there's never been a very, very, very good explanation of why these waves calm down. But based on what we've seen from these prior waves, it does look like the wave will subside. But I also know that this won't be the last wave. Really? Okay. So let's get into that in particular, the Delta, which... From many publications and many things I've read, it, it some people feel it's it's quote unquote the best that this this virus can can throw out there. When you look through the Delta and the R naught or spread relative to traditional COVID or other variants, what what are you seeing? What we're seeing is this is not the most ridiculously hard virus as it relates to escaping existing immune response. What it is good at though is replicating at a very high pace, whereby so let's say you're vaccinated, you come into contact with the virus at the grocery store because you weren't wearing a mask. Uh, now it's in your nose. It replicates in your nose at a very rapid pace. And again, the vaccines have not established uh, sterilizing immunity, meaning vaccines aren't necessarily protecting your nose. So it replicates in your nose really, really, really fast. So by the time it enters your body where vaccine and the antibody response is there, it overwhelms it. That's what Delta's done. So notice what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that Delta is like the South Africa or the Brazil variants, which had these really intense mutations, which could have had vaccine evading ability. If, and by the way, it is already happening. There's a variant called Delta Plus, which is already going around, which keeps the R0 and the high replication ability of the Delta virus paired with some of the escape mutations seen in Brazil, South Africa. That is a more problematic virus. Yet to hit the US. Where is it? Is it coming from India as well? All this origin, so all the Delta originated from India. This one is going around in some Asian countries already. So once you get Delta, what I'm unclear of is it, so if you were to contract COVID with Delta and assuming you're not vaccinated, relative to the original COVID or I guess the novel coronavirus, if I'm saying that right, is it more deadly? Do you think, or just certainly more contagious, but is it really more deadly? What's your, what's your, my understanding is immune response has definitely correlated with the extent of symptoms you had. If you had really severe COVID, you have a very, very good immune response. Has there been a very good correlation drawn between viral load and uh, a very good correlation drawn between viral load and immune response? Uh, I haven't quite seen that personally, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, Delta does in fact have, um, it will produce a pretty robust immune response. And so right now, what do you think we should be paying attention to? It seems like cases seem to be the headline, but is that, is that the proper 
way to look at this or what other things should we be looking at? Is I that- think what we're really dealing with now is a repeat cycle of six to 12 months worth of immune response from the vaccine or prior infection you had coming into a competition with any new variant that pops up. And presumably the only variants we'll truly hear about are the ones that truly matter. Which right, right now, obviously you alluded to Delta Plus. What other ones come to mind for you? Yeah, I would agree with that. I also think Lambda from the Peru side is important. And I say that because there was an mRNA vaccine from CureVac, which didn't put up 95% efficacy. It only put up 60% efficacy. So we know it was lower. However, within CureVac's trial, they had certain uh, trial sites in Peru where Lambda variant was. And again, this vaccine is not 95. It's only 60% effective. But against Lambda, it was 20% effective. So it tells you that's a material deterioration of vaccine efficacy against that variant. So Lambda also is something to keep in mind. So when we're looking through, we should be, it sounds like focused on obviously other variants, but are cases relevant right now? Or is it about hospitalizations, death, and the waning efficacy? What, I, think, what? I think all the metrics are relevant, candidly. I do realize, though, that from an investing perspective, people have often boiled it down to what is it that could trigger a shutdown or some sort of a rollback right. and it's more the hospitalizations. Sure. So I think it's more a function of how the street has boiled it down to in whatever calculus is new. Uh, and I think at some level it speaks to an element of COVID fatigue and COVID desensitization that has happened. Do you think, so one thing that is coming through, it, it seems to be that is a, there is a lower death rate do you think that's attributable, attributable to treatment, you know, less severity from Delta, younger folks getting infected? Vaccination. Vaccination. So, but even those- Yeah, all of the above. The hospital. Okay, all of those things. So there isn't necessarily one, one or two particular things here. Absolutely. And you are reading about a lot more younger Americans in the hospital. I'm wondering, is it because just- probably a lot more young Americans got affected and you just have a natural percentage going in and they weren't as vaccinated or is it? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because my observation is, you know how a year ago, if you asked me how many people end up in the hospital, I would have said, well, of every hundred infected, maybe three to five could end up have severe and maybe two to three end up in the hospital. Well, um, of every hundred infected, despite vaccination, those numbers are not dramatically different. Okay. So those numbers to you were pretty consistent. Umar, do you think I mean, Delta seems to be, quote unquote, winning. And again, I, I hate to use that term in certain areas. Is there another mutation that you think, again, aside from Delta Plus, so in other words, if Lambda comes into a certain territory, Epsilon or Mu that you're hearing about, if that comes into a territory, is there any variant that you think is going to overtake Delta within a territory? I think Delta will get replaced by another variant. Hard for me to pin it down per se. If I were to guess, it's probably a knockoff of Delta, which probably starts more than anything else, just given how much Delta is around in U.S. right now. Like there's millions of Delta, Delta positive patients in U.S. right now. What are the odds that the next iteration we see some sort of a um, version of Delta? Probably high, but I could be wrong. Harder to predict, candidly. But keep in mind, U.S. has an open borders policy, right? So you just don't know. Maybe there's a variant brewing in Africa where we happen to not help out on vaccines very much. And you mentioned... You don't believe this is the last wave. So is this well, I, I don't think so. I just don't think so. Okay. At least here in the United States, is this a fifth wave coming around winter? I think it will depend on when the booster campaign is launched. 
if the booster campaign was happening right now, which is what my prior understanding, then come March, April, yeah, there was a possibility. But it looks like boosters are being put off till October, November, which could imply uh, another wave in March, April timeframe. Again, all depending on how many people actually go back for the booster, because that's another thing. How many people are really ready to go take a booster right now? Two-thirds of the ones that already took a vaccine? That's my guess. So either way, you're, you're forecasting, it seems a, a kind of a rolling six to eight months in there, depending on booster acceptance, the efficacy, et cetera. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about management. And in particular, there's all these data points we're seeing from other countries. What, are, what can we learn or extract from what we're seeing in Israel? It's a good question. I think I mean, it's becoming much harder to extract a lot from Israel, mostly because Israel's the only one in a third boost, third shot campaign right now, the booster campaign. Anything that you're that we're, we can learn from the UK and their approach? You know, also difficult to interpret. And I'll tell you why. UK spaced out their shots by several weeks. A lot of times people say, oh, I got back. I started, I got my first shot in February. Well, you got your second shot in May, June. So it's very different. Your immune response is a lot fresher. How, in your opinion, how often after we receive a person receives the second shot, should they be getting a booster? So if you were to, a friend were to come up to you and say, Umar, I received my second shot in April. When should I get the next one? Would you say six months or? If they're elderly, for sure in six months. If there's someone on the younger side, maybe in eight months, something okay. like that. Can you mix booster shots? Yeah, you can mix them. Yeah, sure. I so mean, I can, I can hop from Moderna to Pfizer on the booster? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, one of the things you'll find is Pfizer shot is a far lower dose. It's 30 micrograms. Moderna is 100 micrograms. So if you have some thought in your head, I just don't know something about the safety, then the lower the dose, you know. Vaccine by vaccine. What are we seeing now six months post Pfizer from an efficacy, tighter levels, side effects, et cetera? So, you know, all those things matter. Here's what's changing, though. When we think and talk titers, we're often describing titers as they're, what are titers? First of all, what is a titer? A titer is uh, there's a certain amount of antibody response produced by the vaccine. You pour some virus onto it and, uh, and, and see if virus gets neutralized or, not, or vice versa. You take a bunch of virus, put some of this antibody on it and see if the virus is neutralized or not. But which virus? COVID-19 or Delta virus? And I think that's the nuance. So, for example, if you and I got vaccinated, we start with a titer of 200. Six months out, we're down to a titer of 100. Okay, it's faded by half. But that's a titer of 100 against COVID-19. Against Delta, that's more like a 50. Against Brazil variant, it's more like a 25. So those 50 and 25 are definitely in a more risk territory. Uh, we have not necessarily seen any data which suggests protection is better on one vaccine versus that. I know there was a press article suggesting that, but if you look at the actual paper, it was suggesting month five efficacy is better on Pfizer. And then the curves cross and month six efficacy is better on Moderna. I don't think you can really interpret that very much. And then any data coming through on as far as the breakthrough cases versus hospitalizations versus deaths on any of the vaccines, one versus another? On reported data, you haven't seen. On sort of in, within their trials, they haven't reported a lot of breakthrough cases. Of course, there's a lot of data in Israeli studies which suggests on breakthrough cases, efficacy could dip 60% or lower. On hospitalizations, it dips into the 80s, and we've kind of seen that in Pfizer data too. Uh, maybe even lower, we'll see. And then just broad-based, we've seen it now. We have hundreds of millions of people have taken the vaccines. 
any notable side effects that, that you've observed? And long-term safety was certainly something you brought up last yeah, November. Yeah, myocarditis. Okay. Which is inflammation of the heart, primarily seen in younger folks and within younger folks, primarily in boys. Predominantly boys versus girls from what I've read. Yes. Yeah. 10 to one, 10 to one ratio. Why does that happen? Like what is the root cause? Of there that? is a link being drawn, which has to do with sex hormones and the ability to have this myocarditis. What about a cases of myocarditis within folks that got COVID? Yeah. Versus- same, same observation. They're seeing same observation. First of all, they are seeing a lot of myocarditis and B, they're seeing, um, uh, they're, they're also seeing um, this gender uh, variance. Within young boys, what age group? Is this 20s? Is it teens? 15 is to it... 20. And then it goes down in 20 to 25, but it really starts to drop 25 plus. 15 to 25 is the risk territory. Treatable? So far, it seems reversible. Reversible. Okay. Reversible even if you had COVID or even if you got the vaccine. Reversible. Right. Okay. That's encouraging. And I had a, my 18 year old son got is double vaccinated. So he's, he fell into that group. And how long got after it. the vaccine did you, would that. It's showing up. up uh, it's not necessarily within a couple of days. It's showing up weeks later too, in some cases. Um, they've CDC looked into this at length and the benefit of vaccine, even in boys, young boys specifically, it vastly exceeds the risk of myocarditis. One of the hotly debated topics are masks and mask mandates. What's your view on that? My biggest view on that is I think the biggest mistake the CDC has made in 2021 is this, oh, you can take your mask off after vaccination. I mean, they grossly confused people by saying that. And it's also made everybody a carrier. Even people that may not be showing symptoms are carriers and spreading the virus. So I think masks are a must, unfortunately. In all circumstances, indoor, outdoor? Absolutely. And I mean, outdoor, if you're like walking by yourself in a, uh, then that's different, you know, but like if you're in close contact with people, you need a mask. And if you're not, then you're spreading a lot. If you're spreading a lot, you're putting a lot more people at risk. Another topic that's come up, ivermectin, is, am I pronouncing that right? Yes. What's going on here with that? Not active. There's random studies, meta-analyses suggesting it could be active, but a couple of big name influencers have sort of gone behind it and ivermectin scripts are going, I mean, there's apparently over a hundred thousand prescriptions being written a week on ivermectin, but it's not active. Boomer, my son was at a football stadium, 80,000 folks, no mask. He's in college. He is vaccinated. And most of the student body is what, what do you think happens is much of America goes back to the sporting events, concerts. How do you think that plays out over the next two to three weeks? I think, I think masks will be important, and I think the extent to which virus goes around will, will basically depend on um, what the vaccination uh, timing was for these individuals. Boomer, one of the things that you constantly update folks on are just the status of upcoming trials. What important trials are being conducted now and that, we should, that will matter or be, or be material to you know, this, this journey against COVID? I think the upcoming study of Merck and Atea, which is an oral antiviral, which actually works, unlike ivermectin, those will be very important because those are very meaningful additions to the armamentarium. So back to your example of your son in a football stadium wearing a mask, if he feels symptoms, he's already vaccinated, what can he do? Well, if he pops in a pill, cuts his virus load down, not only does it shrink his 
bit of COVID potentially, but also prevents perhaps shrinks also his ability to shed the virus and pass it to others. Now, is the application of that after the onset of symptoms then? Both, both. So if let's say you and I have this in-person meeting and uh, let's say one of us was COVID positive, um, th they're running a study in post-exposure prophylaxis whereby they're going to try to establish if the odds of getting COVID go down. And that trial is expected to end? First half, 22. The post-exposure prophylaxis trial, first half, 22. But okay. the um, treatment trial is coming out in 4Q. Oh, so now we have uh, sort of an aspirin, a COVID aspirin, so to speak. Um, Correct. Anything else that's real? I, what about Delta variant-specific boosters? Is that on the dockets or? Some time away, but likely. And predominantly through the mRNA administrators, yes. right? Okay. How about flu season? How's that? What's your thought on that over the next, uh, I guess, over the next winter? I think if masks are widespread, flu season is going to be very mild like last year. But if masks are off the way I'm seeing them off, unfortunately, it's going to be more flu this year than expected. I mean, to me, it's it sounds like we could be rolling over a little bit with Delta, but then you have this variable on the on the waning efficacy of the older population sort of creeping up next. Although running up against booster. So I think if we're answering for the next three to four months, then it's probably going to be fine. But then after that, it becomes a question again with whatever new variant of choices at that point. I mean, look, there are countries which are trying like rapid PCR tests for visitors that are landing. I don't know if we're doing that in U.S. And I don't understand why we've not been doing this for the longest time. You know, there's like real case to be made why every international airport should have had people stay in a hotel for 12 hours or stay in some sort of room for 12 hours, take their PCR, do a full PCR over 12 hours and then release them. You know, it takes yeah. them an hour to do the baggage and all that and immigration. So why not just let them do 12 hours? It would have dramatically changed the onslaught of this new variants that are popping up from ex-US and then you can control what's happening within the US. Omer, thanks again for your insightful thoughts. Uh, if you're game, you, you up for a speed round? Let's do it. All right. First question. Will there be a fifth wave? Yes. Does COVID become endemic? Yes. And for the listeners, could you explain the difference between endemic and pandemic? Basically, this, this will be here to stay. This is not a one-time thing. It'll be here to stay. Maybe not at the same pace and not same intensity, but it's here to stay in different flavors. Do you expect that people will be taking a fourth shot next year? I think uh, if two-thirds of Americans took their initial COVID shots, then two-thirds of this two-third might take the boosters, and there might be a ratio like that that gets applied every year, something along those lines. Do you believe 2022 will be better or worse from a case standpoint than 21? That's a great question. So in 2021, the cases were because of two waves in the early part of the year and sort of right now. In 2022, considering the booster campaign will be happening right before 2022 starts, I suspect there might only be one big wave. Do you think we will shut down the economy again? I don't think so. Could we have a more step back economy, kind of like what's happening right now? Sure, because we're already seeing a lot of formal office reopenings pushed into 22. Do you think the kids in general will stay in school through the year or be sent home? That's a great question. It's fa it fascinates me how many schools are the way schools are open um, in spite of the case numbers right now. And considering that's the case, I think they're going to be open. 
how long will masks be part of our lives? For a while, unfortunately. Would you book family holiday travel plans? Yes, either after if we've unfortunately had COVID, which we did, or after a fresh round of vaccination. Umar, this has been great. Is there any kind of final thoughts you want to share with the audience? Stay safe, wear a mask, and do get your booster. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. And again, to everyone listening, Umar has been so insightful and really spot on. I hope to have you back, but not for COVID. (laughs) Sounds great. Excellent. (laughs) Fantastic. And for those of you that have stayed this long, did you hear that vaccinations are controversial in some communities? Yep, it's a real sticking point. Thank you and stay tuned. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. The views in this commentary are as of September 8th, 2021 and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice and endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the funds, portfolio managers, and could be different if provided by a third party. Pacific funds are distributed by Pacific Select Distributors, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC, a subsidiary of Pacific Life Insurance Company, Newport Beach, California, and are available through licensed third parties. Pacific funds refers to Pacific Funds Series Trust. Evercore ISI or an affiliate has acted as a manager or co-manager of a public offering of securities by CureVac NV in the last 12 months. CureVac NV is a client of Evercore LLC and Evercore LLC has provided investment banking services to CureVac NV in the last 12 months. Evercore ISI or an affiliate has received compensation from Merck and Company Inc. for investment banking services in the last 12 months. Evercore ISI or an affiliate has received compensation from Pfizer Inc. for investment banking services in the last 12 months.